Our speaker today, as most of you know, is Dr. John Carrison. Uh, we are very privileged to have him uh, and have torn him away from his patients for a little while. Um, John grew up at St. Philip's, went to Porter Goud, um, had a distinguished academic career culminating by graduating as valedictorian from Emory Med School in Atlanta. Uh, he then went on to continue um, academic and medical work at Johns Hopkins, uh, where he taught and worked. He has written all sorts of scholarly papers and books in the fields of ophthalmology and particularly uh, related to the retina. Uh, he is in practice as an ophthalmologist and surgeon here in Charleston, but he's most well-known and beloved in this place, not only for his awesome family, but for his winsome style of leading not only a men's Bible study, uh, but some of our children's Sunday school classes. So we are delighted to have him here. Uh, as he comes up, uh, I'd ask you to please bow your heads, and we will pray for him and say a blessing at the same time. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of this day and the opportunity to be in fellowship with all of our brothers here in this room, as well as with you, Lord. We pray that you would use this time to open our eyes more and more to see clearly the things of your kingdom. Lord, we pray that as we come in our brokenness today, that you would speak into our lives and the places of need, and that you would use this time to draw us closer to you. Lord, we thank you for this food and for Jimmy Haygood uh, providing that. Lord, we pray that you would use it to strengthen us to serve you. And as your servant, John comes to speak, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit upon him, that you would bless him, that you would strengthen him, that you would encourage him, and that you would give us ears to hear. We pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, guys. Can, can you all hear me okay? All right. <clears throat> um, Woohoo! This is awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Let's all wake up. Um, this is it's a real, obviously, a I mean, it is a real privilege for me to talk to you guys, and, um, and thank you for your attention. And um, uh, I, uh, what this is, what I'm going to give you is a testimony, not about me, but it's really a testimony about how awesome God is and how awesome God has been to me. And uh, so it's really a story of God's relationship with me. And I am kind of a small little part of this, uh, but he's so awesome. You know, a testimony is a first-person eyewitness account of events. And uh, we all have a testimony. We all have a first-person eyewitness account to what God's is doing, doing in our lives. And they're all amazing. They're all like James Bond movies for everyone here. It's an amazing story because it's about God and who he is and, and what he does and how he works. And, um, and my hope is that uh, the story that I get the opportunity to tell here uh, will instill courage into you uh, to really uh, you know, think more about this so that you can be encouraged and hope and know uh, Jesus uh, as in all of his awesome glory. And... Um, and sometimes it's not just knowing him, but it's actually letting him deeper into your lives, you know? Sometimes we open the door and he's still stuck in the foyer, 
as Brian would say, or the hallway, and uh, he hasn't, hasn't gone any further into our house. But I know that, hey, here we are at St. Philip's, but you know how a good public speaking rule is to know your audience, and I know my audience perfectly. I have lots of friends here. Thank you, but that's not what I'm talking about. Um, that is, I know that everybody here has some type of relationship with God, right? Sometimes maybe you're a believer, all right? You're a believer, you're a sold-out Christian, born-again, level 10 Christian. And, of course, I'm speaking this language that Christians speak that sometimes is just lost. Even when we know what it means, we kind of, it, it can lose its meaning over time. Well, I got a message for you that a very uh, uh, wise believer told me when I lived in Baltimore was, new level, new devil, right? Satan is still on you. I don't care uh, uh, even if you consider yourself that. Or at the opposite end of the spectrum, maybe you're closed for business or uh, for the business of God in your life, um, a none of the above. Uh, maybe you go to church, but you're really secularized in, in every way, unchurched or even church-affiliated. Um, your relationship with God is no relationship, right? Because God is still here, even if you're not having a relationship with him. But that is, in the word that I'm using, relationship, a type of relationship. Um, or maybe you dated God for a while and you broke up with God, or, or Christianity has hurt you in some way. And uh, I would say to that person, I'm sorry, uh, but maybe the problem's not God, but it's your own ego. And um, so be aware of that. Um, or maybe you are what we might call in, in Christianese, you're a seeker. That is, uh, you're dating God. Like somebody, you remember when you were in high school and like a girl comes up to you and says, I know somebody who likes you. And remember how it kind of made you feel good, you know, when you hear that? That's, that's kind of what it, what it feels like. And you're a seeker, you're seeking knowledge of God, uh, but you don't really understand that it's not an intellectual assent, it's not an intellectual decision, it's a moral decision that you're making. It, it's a big decision that you're making, as I'll, I'll tell you in just a second. Or maybe you're a new believer, and it's like being a newlywed. Like, everything is beautiful, right, and, and wonderful, and uh, you're, you're yet to learn that the way of Christ is the way of the cross, right? And, and you know, that's the deal. And... Uh, but God is real, and we all have some type of relationship with you, but know this, wherever you are, and, and certainly, you know, I've experienced all those types of relationships with God in my life, and that's really what this is going to be about, and sometimes even within the course of a week, man, I'll feel, you know, I can relate to all, all of these different things. So I'm really speaking to myself when I talk about all these things. So, but I can tell you this, God is the best He's the highest in all the universe. There's nothing that compares to knowing God intimately as your Lord and Savior. There's nothing out there that's better. You can travel the whole world. You can eat every food. You can think every thought. You can have any kind of relationship. There's nothing that compares with, with knowing God, right? And then one other story, one other thing I want to mention before I start talking about uh, God and, and what he's done for me is that... Um, is that the gospel, right? Every beloved person's story is a gospel story, right? Jesus' story is our story. We live into his story, and, it's, and, it's, and it is each of our story. 
And we all know that gospel means good news, right? Okay, got that. That is good news, right? We're saved for our sins. But I learned recently, um, past couple of years, by reading N.T. Wright and listening to the guys on the, uh, the Bible Project po- podcast, that uh, the gospel, a gospel is good news that changes everything, right? It's Maybe the opposite of that would be the news of a pandemic coming, right? It's just not just news out there that you're like, oh, I know this, but it's going to change your life. And that's what a real gospel does, is it changes your life. And the question is, is are you listening to the news, and are you willing to let go of your old life and let God? I, I get to meet a lot of people in the course of my clinical care. I meet a lot of people that are just wise people, and I feel like as I draw on them, I'm like wise beyond my years, and they say things like, let go and let God, (laughs) let go and let God, let that be your motto. So uh, I'm going to tell you about my story, and my story is like a lot of people's story in this room that are from Charleston that grew up here. Uh, I grew up just around the corner on 60 Trad Street, son of, middle son of three boys, uh, baptized, confirmed, acolyte, altar bore. I remember taking confirmation classes in the very same room that we're doing our, our men's learning fellowship in right now and uh, with Cam and Cobb. And uh, faith at that time for me was, uh, uh, you know, was brought up in Charleston. We were to be loyal to the church. It's almost like you're loyal to like your football team, right? We're not going to say anything bad about it. We're not going to be critical of it. Um, you know, faith in God is a private, personal thing. And don't get me wrong, I grew up in a very loving house. My dad told me probably 10 times a day that he loved me. And uh, my mom was a very loving, loving woman. And, uh, but for, for reasons I don't really even understand, my own pride, uh, my own inattention, my own immaturity, uh, I really didn't know anything about God, even though I was in this environment in this era, and, uh, and, uh, and growing up in Charleston was kind of like going down the East Bay Playground, which was, you know, our hangout, right? It was a playground, right? Everything there is like fun to play with, and there's nothing there that can hurt you, right? And that's kind of the, 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 the feeling that I get. It's like you, you're kind of young and trust everything, and I didn't really realize that there were a lot of harmful things out there, uh, like alcohol, uh, pornography, male and female sexual predators, drugs in our midst, all of these things. And I experienced all of these things before I was even 15 years old. Dad had a lot of things figured out for me. He told me, a lot, he gave me a lot of great wisdoms. But I look at it like this, is there, there, uh, there are a lot of things that I was just going to have to figure out for myself and navigate these things myself. And uh, it's interesting, just recently in our men's group, we've been talking about uh, freedom and free will, and, uh, and the writer that we've been following was referring to Martin Luther, and Martin Luther talking about, he likened our free will to uh, being a horse who gets to choose who his rider is going to be, right? Is it going to be Satan, or is it going to be God? And I'm so struck by the language that we've been reading in John recently when he's He's calling out all of the guys that are so wedded to the, uh, Moses and saying, 
you are children of Satan. <laughs> I'm a child of God. And they're like, what are you talking about? We, we're children of Abraham. They don't really even know what he's talking about. But I don't mean to be dramatic, too dramatic in my language, but basically we either serve uh, Satan or we serve, uh, or we serve the Spirit. And I was definitely food for the serpent. And, uh, and again, that may sound dramatic, but you know, that's how my mind was working. Because when I was young, I didn't really know anybody that I, I would say a real believer. And, uh, um, and my motto pretty much after that was work hard and play hard, which of course meant that my idol was being successful, right? I think that's a lot of idols that, I mean, that's a common idol that we have. That's a good thing, right? Pursuing, pursuing your own success. And, um, but I remember when I was about, uh, probably about 15 years old, laying in bed at 60 Trad Street, third floor, front room, bed on the side, and I started thinking about God, because it wasn't that I didn't think about God, but I was thinking, that God is not real. God's not real. And uh, I wasn't thinking, what if God is not real? I was thinking, God is, is not real. He's not there. And, and I started crying. And uh, like one of those cries that you get when your grandmother dies, right? And you just start sobbing. And I learned later, a couple years ago, that this is what you might call a lament. And uh, the beautiful book, Lamentations, is a poem uh, that the Hebrews wrote when they felt or understood that God had abandoned them, right? He allowed that temple to be destroyed, and they're all walking around like hungry dogs, you know, after Chernobyl, and and they're trying to make sense of it. Uh, But I remember crying, and uh, I think kind of physically when I overcame that crying, I just reckoned that I was all alone, and um, my best hope was me, and that it was okay because I'm a good guy, right? <laughs> I know how to, you know, I know how to get stuff done and work hard, and again, work hard and play hard, and uh, oh, say, okay, so great. But then I met a girl, right? And she was a Christian girl, right? This was in late in high school, and. Uh, we went from being sexually active to like not being sexually active because she was being loyal to God, right? She was a Christian. I was like, wow, I didn't know that, right? And, um, and it's even more interesting than that. She uh, lived on the Isle of Palms. I used to go out there a lot. And her mom was like this beautiful soul, right? She's the kind of person that is just like always smiling, just always full of joy. I mean, just like, what's up with you, right? And her dad was a a biology professor at the College of Charleston who was like a hardcore atheist. And and so we'd be sitting there like having dinner and we'd say a prayer. And I'd be holding his hand and holding her hand and she'd be praying this beautiful prayer and he'd be like tickling my hand and he'd be like, you know, trying to get me to open my eyes and look at him. And I was like, so, uh, and I, I admired her faith. And I know this is really beautiful. I, I want that. But I really, 
admired his intellectual rigor and his, his dedication to knowledge and learning and science. And I must say, I felt like, you know, I guess I'm kind of probably more in his camp than I was in her camp, but um, I'm, I wanted to be a good guy, right? So I wanted to be a good boyfriend, so I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going to give another run at being a Christian. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to start doing things that Christians do, right, to kind of act like a Christian, right? So I'm going to start, you know, going to church with her some, and uh, I'm going to try to get into a small group so I can learn a bit more. And uh, I kind of, it just didn't, I didn't really understand it. It didn't make any sense to me. And like anything that you can't kind of figure out like that, uh, it, uh, um, it just didn't hold any attraction for me. And so uh, you could, might say I kind of just, my interest subsided. And, uh, and, um, and that was it, because it was OK, because I was cranking out on my career plans. I did very well in college. I was Victorian in college, and I got accepted to medical school, and I'm like, I'm going to get accepted and defer it for a year, and I'm going to go on an adventure. And I went on this great adventure around the world by myself in 1987. Um, this was before Tiananmen Square had happened. I went to China, and I went to India, and, one of the, uh, and from a religious point of view, I went to Baranasi, which is where the Ganges River is, and it's a, really a holy site for Hindus. It's where... The Buddha, um, the Buddha received his revelation, and uh, I brought back this big statue of Vishnu, and I wasn't like, oh man, I'm looking for religious truth in my life, but it was just like, it just struck me the diversity of things, and it filled me with this kind of drive that when I get to med school, my goal is to figure out how the body works. Right? I wasn't going to just pump and dump information. I'm like, I'm going to drill down as deep as I can go and learn as much as I can. So I really attacked my career with the sole purpose of like learning as much as I could. Of course, by this time, uh, I had met another girl, my wife now, and she was like perfect because she, didn't, she wasn't in my business or anything like that. Right? She uh, went along with my career plans and my zeal for learning. And we had moved to Atlanta together and lived together a couple years before we got married. And uh, she was a nurse. And uh, then I went through my internship. And then we all moved to, to in Boston. And then we moved to Baltimore. Uh, and I was working. Everything's good. Uh, but uh, the... Um, but I was completely, I hate to use this word, but I was like totally emotionally unavailable to her. Not really. I mean, like, you know, I was a good guy and all that stuff, but um, I don't know. So when she came up to me and told me, you know, early after my internship that she didn't want to be married to me anymore, I was like, what? I'm a good guy, right? Why wouldn't you want to be married to me? And, um, but uh, I did what I'm really good at, which is crying, right? like sobbing, and uh, that sob that you get when you uh, feel like you've been abandoned. And uh, I didn't really understand it. Um, and then she came back like about 24, 36 hours later and said, nope, I'm, I'm, I don't want to leave you. And I was like, OK, great. 
Um, but something had changed in her, which is that she, uh, she started going to church. And I thought, I was like really like, God, are you serious? Like, you know, you're taking away uh, this other woman from me. And I mean, how stupid does it sound that I'm like jealous of God, right? That she loves God more than she loves me. And I thought, that is just the stupidest thing I, I heard. But I was like, I'm jealous of God. And, and I'm like, I don't even know how to like weigh this up. But that was certainly kind of a feeling uh, that I had. But hey, I was a good guy. Uh, so we're living in Baltimore at that time. But I, um, you know, I would go to church. And I became very intellectually interested in this thing. And uh, uh, I would occasionally go to her small group when they had food. Um, <laughs> but she loves to tell me, she's like, you told me one time, you said, I'll go to church with you and stuff, but I'll never be a guy that like prays with you. Okay? And uh, she loves saying that to me. But I, um, I remember I started listening to Christian apologists and uh, like Ravi Zacharias and uh, R.C. Sproul, whom you're probably familiar with. And again, I was intellectually in interested in a lot of these things that Jesus would say, and they are like haunting to me. Like things like uh, in the Bible, like the beginning of knowledge is fear of God. I'm like, what does that mean? But I love knowledge, and I don't really know what that means. And, but it's really kind of haunting me. And it's kind of like when Jesus says, man, getting angry at somebody else is like murder, right? Looking uh, uh, on somebody's other stuff, like, you know, greed and how we covet. And, and lusting for another woman is like adultery. I, I was like, yeah, that stuff sounds true at like some level to me. But I don't know. It doesn't really make sense. And... Um, like I said, the best word I can use, it's like it's something that I don't understand that's just out there that just, like I said, that haunts me. And, um, and uh, I, you know, I, I enjoyed kind of learning these things, but becoming a Christian was never really on my mind. I still didn't really even know how you did it or what you did for it. And, uh, but, you know, I was rolling along with it. And then I got, like, had to, I had a military obligation to pay for my medical school, so I had to leave the ivory tower for a little while. And when I was in the ivory tower, I was like the golden boy, right? I was prolific writer, and uh, I was what was called the assistant chief of service, which is like, you know, on your way to being crowned, you know, you know, a chairman of a department or something like that. And, and so I went to, moved to Texas, and I became very depressed. And uh, I didn't, uh, you know, here my wife was a Christian, and I'm not a Christian, and I started entertaining the light, entertaining the idea of leaving my wife. Uh, maybe I'd be happier with another woman, maybe another ophthalmologist, maybe another academic ophthalmologist. And I remember these thoughts just kind of like filling my, my head as I was depressed, and my wife Marnie didn't know anything about this. And uh, so one day I got this, you know, the ominous call, you know, where she says, I've got something to tell you, and it is uh, something that God told me not to tell you, but he's telling me loud and clear I need to tell you now. And so uh, she told me that when she was thinking of leaving me, 
before, it was uh, because she was going to leave me for another man. And I thought, so God told her to tell you, God told you to tell me that now. And uh, she said, hey, I don't know what this means, how it's going to play out. And, uh, and, and this was a miracle to me. And I'm so happy that God told her to do that, right? Think about this. This is like when David, who is like a total badass, right? David, I'm sorry, he is so awesome. And he uh, is, he's out of the field, he's living in the castle now, and he figures he's going to start doing, he does some ba really bad things, but he doesn't really know that he's doing bad things, or he knows, or we don't really know, right? And uh, that lead to the death of his soldiers, so it's really murder and cover-up. It's, it, it's, it's, that really is the thing before God. And Nathan basically tells him this story, uh, and David's like listening to the story, and David's like, man, who are you talking about? It's like, that guy is awful, right? He's a jerk. And Nathan is like, boss, that is, that's you that I'm talking about. And that's what was happened to me. It's, it's, it's not looking at yourself in the mirror. It's like stepping outside of yourself and seeing you, right? Like detached from yourself. It is this weird you know, reality trick, right? If I have my reality of, you know, what I see and understand and can see, and then there's objective reality, and then there's God reality, it's, it was me kind of stepping into objective reality and looking at myself and my own shame. And, and like, there's no, there's, no, there's no covering this up. There's no way to hide it. Man, all the doors have been closed. Um, I remember a guy saying to me, yeah, it's like watching a movie about yourself. And uh, man, everybody knows if you watched a movie about yourself and where even your thoughts were on the film, you'd be like, oh yeah, I get it, right. I am, I am not a good guy. I am, I am, you know, I am, I'm not the person I thought I was. I'm not the person I thought I was. And it's shameful. I'd hate to have a group of guys know what's, what's going on in my head, right? And, uh, but there was no way around it. And so, of course, what did I do at that point? I started crying again, like sobbing, like one of those deep groans, because the person I loved the most had abandoned me. And, of course, the person I loved the most was me, right? And I had let my own self down. I had abandoned myself. And I tell you, I just felt like, I remember sitting in the chair and I was just, you know, crying and sobbing and physically uh, just feeling just exhausted. And I started to, like, talk to God, right? And uh, I said, you know, God, I've got no place to go. I've got no place to go. So, man, if you're out there and you're real, I want to follow, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. And um, I love that scene from Officer and a Gentleman when Richard Gere says, you know, he's trying to get, you know, they're trying to boot him out, and he's like, I've got no place to go. And that's why I can so relate to Peter, too, when um, 
Jesus, you know, says, okay, Jesus lays down the law that, you know, following him is going to be not, you know, all free bread <laughs> and like a medical care, right? It, that it's going to be hard. And Peter says, I got no place to go. And that's really how I felt. And I kind of feel, feel bad, you know, that I had no place to go. But I'm so glad that I had no place to go. And I was so stubborn. And, uh, and, and I got to say, man, this, this warm kind of warmth kind of came over me. And I just, I had this peace about, I had this peace about it all. And you might think, well, that's, that's kind of, that's, that was a very important moment. I realized that it wasn't like an intellectual journey. It was a moral journey of what I was going to do with this soul of mine, right? What, what, what am I going to do with this soul? Who is my, who is my master? Who is my Lord? And I didn't really even know that I was my own master or Lord, even though I talk about it in those terms. But um, so now uh, things, I started kind of doing those Christian things again, and they all made sense to me now. Like reading the scripture, I'm like, whoa, what? Nobody ever wrote, that wasn't in there before. Has somebody changed my Bible here? And it's like, what? And it started to like all make sense to me. And uh, Marnie and I started doing a couple's devotional, the two of us. Uh, it was a focus on the family one called Nightlight. And I started praying with her afterwards. And I had never felt such intimacy with another human being in my life as to when I started down this, uh, I started this. I started being active in small groups, learning how to pray. I'll tell you, one thing that really helped me a lot was listening to Christian music. There's a lot of great Christian music out there, and it's all different styles. It's just, uh, as Rick Warren would say, it's all just music with Christian lyrics. And, uh, but a lot of those lyrics are just scripture being sung over and over. So I'm kind of learning scripture without really knowing about it. And I have all these kind of things just in my head uh, from that. So when I moved back to Baltimore, and we started going to our same church at all. They were like, what happened to him? And... Uh, um, and so, again, my relationship with everything uh, was changed. And, uh, and then, but I was back at, you know, back in the ivory tower, and I loved being there. And, uh, but it was weird, you know, it was no longer about me achieving things. Uh, it was really about, like, my relationship with other people in the department, like my friendship. It was like, that's the only reason I'm there is because I got, you know, great friendships and relationships. And achieving things really uh, was, was good to do to honor God, but it just, it wasn't kind of what was driving me at the end. So it, uh, I still enjoyed it. So when an opportunity came to come back to Charleston, I was like, well, we prayed about it and, and we moved back here probably about 15 years ago now and became involved in the life of this church in St. Philip's. And uh, I've had some great opportunities in teaching the fifth and sixth grade Sunday school with my homeboy Dan Russler and Sarah Silcox. And I tell you, nothing will clarify your theology than discussing theology with a fifth or sixth grader, right? <laughs> they have no assumptions about anything, and they kind of get it. So I learn as much as I do in there from I learn with our men's group where we get around. And I wouldn't call it a teaching fellowship. It's just a, we're all in there learning, learning, this, learning it together. Uh, but I want to share three things that I've learned over the years because, you know, your story of like saying, okay, I surrender to you, Lord. You are my Lord. You're my master. It doesn't, 
it just, that's just the start of things. It's like you're the newlywed where everything's new. Um, one of the things I learned, I have three things I want to tell you, and then I'm, then I'm, then I'm done here, but I was walking with, uh, oh, yeah, one other thing I want to tell you that I did when I moved back here, I started having uh, like a coffee every week with a, one of, a friend of mine, his name is Brant Shelbourne, uh, every week, and we've been doing it for 15 years, and he was actually a Christian, like he was one of the first Christians that I knew, and I am so thankful for that relationship. But, um, so I was talking with another friend of mine, Robbie Marion, and I was like, all right, dude, uh, Lent's on, he's like, yeah, I'm doing this devotional, man, and all it does is say, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, and I'm like, dude, you're not just a sinner, you are a redeemed sinner, right? That's being sanctified. And um, Jesus is not on the cross. He is resurrected and ascended. But I think I had this strange guilt about Jesus having to die for my sins. And I'm like, I, I felt bad about it. I think I was, I was stuck there. I think I had to read through like deep study of Romans like three times to finally understand that we are no longer under the law, we are under the Spirit. And we are living, and I'm not preaching prosperity gospel here, but we, we are living under God's grace. And we are motivated to do good works on God by the Holy Spirit inside us. And so, you know, when you hear these things about, well, you became a Christian, but you hadn't really changed, uh, my relationship with money Success, women, is, is, I'm happy to say, and not in a prideful way, but it's more Christ-like in me than it was. I'm a different person, right? And, and this sanctification process is, I think we all get kind of discouraged when we see ourselves stuck with a besetting sin, and we are not realizing that Jesus, uh, you know, after he, after he died, he was resurrected and ascended, and he is giving us that power over, I mean, we should be like healing people, right? <laughs> With oh, the Holy Spirit. And, um, and so, you know, I would, Christ is still, you know, he's, 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 he's way off, but I, it was very encouraging for me to understand that, uh, I'm seeing progress in my life, right? I'm more aware of my sins than I ever been. I catch them earlier than I used to, and uh, you know can avoid temptation better. And um, but it's still the same thing. I've learned so much from Scripture, man. I totally think that see the Scripture is like a sword, man. And it's like we're all walking around with our swords, but we don't even know how to use them. And it there, I mean, it, it's it's kind of funny to me. So. Uh, I've learned so much by being immersed in, in, in learning. So the second thing I want you to want to know is that I was always intrigued by learning, and uh, I learned this with our group when we were reading um, Packer. Where's Jim Stelling, my Packer expert here? Uh, there he is. But knowing God is eternal life, and Jesus says that, and we, of course, understand that we aren't, aren't knowing God intellectually or knowing about God, like the person sitting in the balcony looking below, but we are, we're living with God daily and talking with him and knowing him intimately as our father in heaven. He is our, he is mysterious and unknowable and unfathomable and he is holy and 
I love our church that it's holy like that. But he is also Jesus Christ, man. He's a human. He's my father. And I can talk to him like I'm talking to you now. And he's, he's right there for me. And uh, that, that really opened a, a door for me when Packer said, he quoted, uh, um, taste and see, I think it's from Proverbs, taste and see that the Lord is good. Man, and I invite all of us every day to taste and see that the Lord is good. There's nothing that compares to knowing God as your Father, Father in heaven. And finally, that I, I understand now that Jesus Christ uh, was like a human being, and he's God, right? And so we walk around saying, oh, Jesus, you know, he's fully God and fully human being. And I don't really know what that means either. But I do know this, that when he was on the cross, he knew what it was like to be abandoned by God. And, uh, and he uh, lamented there. And he was, of course, drawing from Psalm 22 uh, in his lament a feeling that he'd been abandoned by God. And when I learned that about him, I was like, man, you are my savior, because you know at that moment he was fully human. There was no God in him, right? How can you feel abandoned by God at that moment? That, to me, is like the, the quintessential human experience of knowing that you're a human being and you're not God, is to feel abandoned by God. And uh, No, but I do know this that I wasn't abandoned by God. He was kind of like, uh, you know, when, like letting your dog out and he goes and sits on the porch the whole time. And uh, so he had not abandoned me, abandoned to me. He was waiting for me uh, the whole time. And, uh, and, and that I know that there is nothing that can separate me from God um, in, in time or space or anything like that. Nothing can separate us from knowing God. And that uh, is from Romans, right? If the sword is, uh, um, the sword, uh, sorry, if the Holy, if the Holy, uh, if the, um, if the Bible is like the uh, sword of the Spirit, Romans is like the arrowhead. And to me, that verse is like the tip of the spear. And uh, that is, uh, that sustains me as I go forward each day dealing with, you know, whatever blessing or thing I'm going to have to deal with that day. And, 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 um, and so I want to, in closing, I would just want to, again, thank everybody uh, for having me here. And uh, I hope this has been a blessing to you and, and uh, can deepen your faith in some way. And, and uh, uh, I really, really uh, love being a part of uh, a fellowship of believers uh, going through life. I'm really strengthened by everybody. It just makes me so happy. I wish I knew everybody so deeply, like Jesus knows everybody, and, uh, and I'm happy for you to know me better. So, thank you. <laughs> thank you, John. That was wonderful. Um, let me close us with the blessing, if you would please bow your heads. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. Amen. <laughs>